once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How do you approach the Lord's table? Is it more than just a thing we do at church? The Apostle Paul chided the church at Corinth when they turned the Lord's table into a meal that favored the rich, excluded the poor, distorted the picture painted by the elements, and obscured the true message of the table. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us this message entitled The Covenant in Christ's Blood, which covers Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28. Thank you for joining us today. It's obvious as you look before yourself here, you'll see the, the table. This is a time for communion. Lord's table, whatever you want to call it. Now here's my question. What's been your experience? What's been your experience with the table? How meaningful is it? Has it made a difference in your life? To what degree do you really understand the table? I know when I was a kid, my first memory of the Lord's table was in my church, you all came forward in groups, you just came forward, you knelt, and the pastor would go from one end to the other and would hand out the elements. And my friend next to me, when the elements were handed to him, he stopped the pastor as the pastor was going to the next. He said, excuse me, can I have seconds? It's not very much. (laughs) And in his mind, like mine, I probably didn't think much about it. I don't remember being startled that that's not the right question. But all I know is this. To me, it was, okay, we're coming to have something to eat, and it sure isn't very much. What difference can that little bit of food make? Do you know, I bet a lot of us, I bet a lot of us have grown up going to church regularly or whenever you did, and that table might be presented, and you go, what is this thing all about? What really happens when you come to the table? If you've been around perimeter very long, you probably know that this thing is really, really special to me. I've had people through the years, multiple people come and say, what is it, man? When we do communion, man, you kind of get hypercharged. I mean, you really get, you know, this is something big to you, isn't it? Oh, it's big. Truly, this is... This is a high and holy moment when we come to the table, as is any worship. But this, this is something very, very unique. We come to the table. See, it would be my hope, it has certainly been my prayer, that today, if you came to this table in the past and thought, okay, good, okay, good, that you're going to from now on say, "Uh uh-uh, this is great. This is great. You that are seekers, you that are here trying to figure out the faith, though you won't be taking the table as this is offered to those of the faith, man, I hope this is going to be something really special to you. I hope you're going to say, oh, oh, that is a holy ordinance. I learned a lot by watching the people of God go through this experience. As we do... I think it would be helpful if I could open this up in maybe a different way to you. And so as I thought, I'm going to just throw 
everything away I've ever thought and said about communion as far as this is kind of how I always love to go about it. And I'm going to start from scratch. And I'm going to say, if I wanted to tell somebody, this is what it's about, this is why it's so important, what would I teach? How would I teach it? And so in doing so, started fresh. I want you to open in your bulletins and see the outline that I have there. You're going to have to write the outline. Because there are only four words. I think these four words may open a, a door into a site of vista that's going to be new to probably a large, large number of us here. And we're going to look out and we're going to go, wow, I've been coming to this table and I've been taking and I know it's something good and I know it's big, but wow, this really is something. Let's walk through these four words together. The first and this will be before we get to our text, is the word ordinance. Ordinance. The second word that you're going to to write down, if you take notes here, would be the word sacrament. The third word is the word covenant. Covenant. And the fourth word is the word, and I don't care if you put Lord's table, If you want to say communion, maybe just put the word communion. Those four words, incredibly important. Now, I can imagine if I had the opportunity to say, I would love to meet with each one of you, and I had the time, and we could, and you were willing, and I were to sit down with you and say, hey, take these four words, and and let's unpack them from what you believe right now, what you understand about those four words. Some might have some great insight and understanding. Others might say, uh, you know, if I were asked to explain to somebody these four words, I think I would be hard-pressed. If that be the case, then you have a great opportunity to learn something here, understand something that's going to make your experience forever different at the table. I really believe that. Let's take the first word, the word ordinance. It's defined as a decree or mandate enacted by an authority. So it's a decree to do something, an ordinance, a mandate. This much be done. And the authority gives it to whomever, the subjects of that authority. Now we know as we talk about the table that this is a mandate given by God himself through his son Jesus. And that mandate is given... In the book of Matthew 26, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26, and we'll start in the 26th verse, and we'll go through verse 28. This is how it reads. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant. Please underscore that in your mind at least. This is my blood of the covenant. And he goes on to say, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. So let's let's look at the second word. 
And that word is the word sacrament. What is a sacrament? Well, to help us understand, I'm going to take us to a, uh, to a, a great explanation of sacrament. And it came in the mid-1600s. It happened in England when 120 or so of the great clergymen from around regions beyond came together with about 30 great laymen who were godly leaders in church. And these 150 or so said, we're going to meet in an assembly and we're going to meet till we finish and we're going to take every major subject in all of God's word and we are going to write and we're going to leave the church something that they can go to and understand this is what God's word says about and whatever subject matter it might be. Well, they, they came to a conclusion after many, many, many months. And it was called the Westminster Confession of Faith. I think there is no writing in the history of mankind to help explain the Bible better than that writing. It's outstanding. When they finished their assembly, it was believed it would be a great, a great help if we were to have something to catechize people, we're catechized to teach. How could we teach people all of this body that's so important? How can we simplify it and make it easy? So they said, what if we did a catechism that would be a question and answer approach? And so they did that. Over a hundred questions, taking all that information and boiling it down to key questions and the answers. Well, they were pretty significant. All kinds of detail and scripture verification and so forth. They finished that and then they said, you know what? This is going to be long. A lot of people are not going to use it because it's just so detailed. It's accurate. It's thorough. But I'm telling you, we got we to gotta make it simpler. They said, let's write it in a shorter version. So then they labored to pare it down to a short version, which is called the shorter catechism. So we have longer and shorter catechism. Then they came along and they said, well, you know what? Kids can't even use the shorter. Our little kids, it would sure be great if there were some way that they could have something simplified. So they said, let's write the children's catechism. And they did. And now all across the world, people from children and the adults all learn the children's catechism, right? <laughs> I like that children's catechism. It's easy. By the way, I want to say to you who have children or will have children, please use the catechisms. They are so good. It's on music. We've got it in our bookstore in different ways. I mean, you can, but use it. I can still remember our little kids when we'd say, what's man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him. Well, they're barely talking. They just got it, but they learned. And I sit there and I say, they just had implanted in their thinking the most significant truth in life. What a foundation to begin with. And then the questions that come out of that. So I want to go to the shorter catechism, not the children's, but we're going to use the shorter catechism. And let's see what the answer is to the question, what is a sacrament? Question 92. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ 
There we got our word ordinance. We understand that now. Instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant. Please note that word, covenant. They are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Remember the text that we just read in Matthew 26? For this is the blood of my covenant. So let's look at the third word. Third word, covenant. Hey, read through the Bible, and you're going to see this word over and over and over. Over 300 times the word covenant is used in the Bible. This word is so important in the text of God's word that, in my opinion, the greatest theologians of the world through history, they call themselves covenantal in their view of the Bible. Covenant theologians. Meaning they see all of God's word through the lens of the covenants that bring all of God's word to bear upon the people of God through history. That's how important it really is. Now the root of the word covenant is the word to cut. That's very important. It means to cut. And so it was used in this day as the scriptures were written. It was used for the idea throughout Old Testament days. The idea was this, that we have to get a covenant. We have to cut a covenant. And so they would make an agreement. A covenant is an agreement or a promise. And so there would be negotiations between the two parties. Well, I'll do it if you'll do it. No, but I don't think that's, well, I think you should. Well, if you'll do this, then I'll, until finally you come to agreement. And you say, are we in agreement? And everybody says, yes, both parties. Yep, we agree. Then there's got to be something that ratifies and seals the deal. We've got to seal the deal. So the way they did it, in the Old Testament days. They would go through a ceremony in which they would take an animal and they would cut the animal into half. One half they put over here, the other half they would put over here. And then together, side by side, they had to walk through the cut of those animals. Now we go, well, that's kind of strange and odd, but if we really think about it, I mean, it's kind of disgusting. I mean, can you imagine? Okay, we got a deal, we got a deal. Okay, who's going to cut the animal? Not me, you. No, 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 you cut the animal. I don't want to cut that animal. N not just because it was messy and, oh, but think of the pain it brings for anyone to see life taken like that being cut. Cut in half, oh. Which showed the seriousness of the covenant. What we have to understand is that what we have in the covenant that this table is representing, this table will have the bread. It represents the body of Jesus that was broken. And then we have the drink, which represents the blood of the covenant. We have a little term that says, we cut a deal. We cut a deal. The idea is that we have a contract. 
what this thing is doing is not just come up, let's take something to eat and drink. Okay, I remember some good things. I remember he died for me. No, 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 no. What we got to understand is there was a deal cut for us. God cut a deal. And he said, here is the deal I will, I will cut with you. And there won't be negotiation between, okay, I'll do this if you'll do that. It's God saying, this is what I'll do for you because this is a covenant of grace. I'm giving you what you should never, ever expect or believe you deserve. And what we're going to do is I'm going to cut a deal for you. And here is the deal. I'm going to make a promise to you that I will be your God and you will be my people. You will be my people. And just so you understand what that means, it means that I am going to love you. I mean, I'm going to love you so much that you will never, ever, ever understand the depth of my love. I'm going to love you so much that I am going to cut the deal so that it can be a deal. I'm going to take my son and he dies on the cross. And that's the cutting for the contract. My contract to you is at this. I will be a faithful God. I will love you. Let me tell you, I will provide for you. I will protect you in ways you will never know till you get in the heavenlies. I'm promising you that what I'm going to do, I'm going to take such good care of you that you're never going to understand the depth of how much I keep care of you. And the way it's going to work is that you have stipulations and your stipulations are called the Ten Commandments and the laws that flow out of the moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments. And what you're to do is you're to have a heart that says, Whatever I see, Lord, that's my intention. I want to do that. And if that is your heart intention, then we're going to cut the deal. It's going to be made. And from that moment on, it does not matter. As you break your covenant obligation, as you fail me time and time again, and sin is in your life in the process, let me tell you, it's not going to have anything to do with what I'm going to do for you. It will be a perfect love forever. And oh, yeah. There are going to be consequences when you break the moral law that I've given to you. But I don't want you to ever think that I'm punishing you because I'm not punishing you. It is a loving discipline to bring you to the place that you can enjoy the incredible relationship and the benefits of that relationship. That's why I'm doing this. And this is going to tell you that regardless, if you're truly, truly mine, you've come to know me, you've got a heart for me, let me tell you, you mess up, you mess up, you mess up. But you're considered as righteous as my son Jesus is considered righteous. And for one reason, because I have cut a deal for you. And that deal being cut has paid the penalty of everything you've done. And so when you come to this table, what you're remembering is simply this. I've made a deal. And I will be faithful to you forever. Forever. That's how much I love you. Folks, when we come to the table, I hope nobody ever again comes to the table as God's people. They say, oh, I'll eat it, I'll drink it. I'm not sure, but let's go. No, no, no. I hope forever you're thinking, the deal that was cut for me, and look at the benefits that go with that. By the way, there, there are two signs of the covenant. Two signs. One sign is an initiatory sign. It, it takes place only one time, 
and it indicates the agreement that has been made by us to God. And God offers to us the sign, and we are to take it. It's to say, I'm getting into the covenant. I'll accept the deal. That's why we're baptized. Old Testament, you had circumcision, but that's shedding of blood. There's no more shedding of blood, so it's replaced. But so that's why we get baptized. We say, hey, I'm in the deal. That is my heart. That's where I'm coming. I want that, I want that promise, and I'm ready for the relationship that goes with it. And so that's a once and for all. The great, great, great news is God says, hey, and by the way, I'll even let the children of believers into the deal. They get to benefit by the fact you're in it. Unless they come to an age to understand and then they reject the relationship. But they get to be in it from the very, very beginning. But there's got to be something to continuously remind us of the covenant. So we have a second sign. The second sign is an eating festivity. In the Old Testament, we talk about the Passover meal. Well, it was a shedding of blood. We can't have any bloodshed anymore. So now it's replaced. Now we've got the Lord's table, communion, whatever you want to call it. And now we take the table. Why? It's a constant reminder. Oh, the covenant. Oh, the covenant. Oh, the covenant. And then I think, God, this is what you said in giving of the covenant. Uh, oh, and God, I, I realize what I have said I'm failing it. Oh, God, I, I want to ask forgiveness for that. And God, this just reminds me that this covenant wouldn't exist without the cutting of your son. And that's why I'm in the deal with you. And that's why I get what I get. Oh, my goodness. So the fourth word is just the word communion or the Lord's table. And so question 96 of the Westminster Confession, this is how it answers the question, what is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament, we know that now, wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth, and notice what it says, and the worthy receivers are by faith. By faith what? Made partakers of his body and blood with all of his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. So, what really happens when we come to the table? What happens is, as it says here, we experience and we enjoy Christ and his benefits. Hmm. We experience and enjoy Christ and the benefits of this covenant. So, what are the benefits? Well, according to these forefathers of the faith, they put it very clearly. We'll summarize it. It's spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. So this is called a means of grace. We believe that grace is actually given to people and existing faith is increased as the grace is portrayed even through the table. Now, really? I mean, really? Do we really believe that we're going to come here and we're going to do something in a few minutes and Grace is going to be dispensed and faith is going to be increased and that's going to happen in our lives because we just took something to eat and drink. And the answer is no. It doesn't happen because we just eat and drink something. It's because we eat and drink by faith 
that which represents the great body of truth that proclaims the covenant deal that's been made. And as we embrace all the details of the covenant, what he's promised, and our own obligation, we go, oh, and now spiritual nourishment, now growth in grace. If I were to put it up just kind of in a quick few statements, I'd say, first of all, we need to know that faith is a gift from God. So God gives us faith. So, all right, so now we've got faith. We're here as God's people. Seekers, we that are Christians, we believe that God has given us what we have in faith. That's why we can't look and say, ah, look what I did. You hadn't done. No, no. We say it's a gift anyway. But number two, we'd add to that, that faith grows and does so by the hearing of God's word. That last verse, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where faith is increased, is the word of God. Well, see what this is. This is called a proclamation. It's the word. It's proclaimed, but it's a picture that's proclaiming that says more than a thousand words. That's the beauty of the picture. And then thirdly, grace produces the ability for existing faith to grow. That's why as grace is given during this time, if we take it rightly by faith, faith actually starts to grow. Are we going to say, all right, I, I just took the table now. Boy, <clears throat> I feel real good now, spiritually. I'm really strong now. No, not really. Not that. But it's, it's, it's kind of like when I became a Christian, when I became a Christian, I didn't feel any different. I didn't have anything happen to me that I felt. But within the weeks, months that followed, I saw change coming about. The reality is it's like that with the table. We come to the table and watch what it does as we take it over and over and we come to the word over and over. Then it's nutrition. It's growth and grace and it does make a difference that we will certainly even see in our life experience so as we stare at this as we take the table as we think about the elements as we think about the event that they represent the truths that they represent grace is dispensed and faith is increased that's what we call a remembrance when we stare at the table, when we're thinking about what it represents. That's, that's the remembrance. And that's why Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Yes, him and all he did by the fact that he cut a covenant for us. I love to sit there at the table and think, oh God, what are the benefits? The benefits include power. I say, God, you know, because of the covenant you made, I get the power to actually be able to fight sin and with somewhat effectiveness. And God, I'm getting the provision of everything that I need in life. I get that. I get all this protection. I get to know that I will never go to hell. I will never even smell it. I won't see it. I won't ever know. I just, I'm gone. I won't ever even know that hell. God, that's worth it just for that. And I will be in the heavenlies with you. And I won't cry anymore. I won't hurt anymore. There won't be pain. There won't be worry. There won't be suffering. It's going to all be gone. And the list goes on and on and on. And I sit there and I say, God, it's because of a covenant. And you cut the deal for me. 
It took Jesus to die, and I get as a result the covenant. Let me tell you, that makes this special. This no longer becomes, mm, I'm good, yeah, yeah, it was good, and I feel better with God now because I did what he told me to do. No, it is far, far more than that. We have responsibilities. I won't take you to it, but if we were to look at question 97, the question would be asked, well, all right, who is worthy to come to the table? And it would tell us those who discern the Lord's body, those people who demonstrate faith and repentance, those who give evidence of love and obedience, saying those that show some fruit to the realities of real life. So really, how do we know? How do we know if we got that fruit? I mean, some of us are so young, we don't know. Am, am I really a Christian? Am I not? I think I am. I'm not sure. You know how? There are two qualification processes given in Scripture. It really is. One is very indirectly understood by what's said in places, but the other one is just directly said. But there is an initiatory evaluation that's supposed to take place. And that's by those who hold the keys to the kingdom. Those are the elders of a church. Keys open up to let in. Keys lock to keep out. Keys sometimes have to unlock to let people in who shouldn't be in now. We found out and now are out. Yeah, that doesn't mean coming to church, but being in the covenant relationship, as we call it, with the church. There's an agreement. And so there's an initial evaluation that takes place. We do that here in our church. When people finish the kind of the class to understand life in church and what, what this covenant's all about and so forth, then there's a, a, a friendly, fun examination. We call it exam, but it's basically get to know each other. And the elders, always in the plurality, will say, hey, tell me your story just a little bit. What makes you think you're a believer? How do you know? Do you know we had somebody one year that came through the church and when asked, what makes you think now? I mean, what gives you confidence that you're a Christian? And how did you become a Christian? He said, well, by God rewarded me for being, a, you know, I led the Boy Scouts for 14 years. And I, I think he let anybody lead the Boy Scouts for 14 years. And we go, no, uh, no, 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 no. There's a little bit more to it than that. And so can we work with you a little bit and we'll do everything we can to help you? Well, we had one man, big man, came to this church with his wife, little wife. <laughs> and he comes in and he's a big, you know, strong little guy, you know, and love him to death. But he, he comes in and she says, we want to go, we're going to this church. She said, well, he said, okay, that's where you want to go. So they come. She says, we need to join this church. He says, okay, if you want to join the church, okay with me. So in the evaluation time, they said, listen to her story. He said, wow, you, you know the Lord, that's great, good. And how about you? And he had no story to tell except I'm here with her. And so they said to him, well, look, what we'd like to do is meet with you and help you because we want to get you ready where you can come in with understanding and so forth. He said, are you telling me you're not letting me in this church as a member? They said, well, yeah, that's kind of what we're saying. He said, well, if you think you're so good that I don't qualify, I mean, if you're so much better than me, then I'm out of this place and I'm gone. You understand that? And she said, oh, no, you're not. She said, you're going through that class. He said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> he went to the class, heart radically transformed, loves the Lord, becomes a member of this church, and he catches me one day out in the hall. He says, Randy, don't you dare let these people come into the life of this church without that exam. <laughs> he said, I was marching my way to hell till somebody loved me enough to stop me. 
And I am so thankful for that. Mm. Now, once we've done that, we've had the exam. Now, the scriptures say, Paul speaking on God's behalf to the people of Corinthians, to all of us. He says, look, you have to examine yourself now. That's an ongoing exam. And it's left to us to examine ourselves. And if you find yourself saying, oh, I want Jesus and I want to grow and I'm struggling and I've got all kinds of sin, but I, that's my passion. I'm trying to go after him. Come to the table. Come to the table. Don't say, oh, I don't feel good enough to come. No, that's why we come. We'll never be good enough. This is what you need is grace. You need, you need strength. You, so come to the table. Let me, let me take us to the table, but first tell you a story. The story is a, a story that you that are in discipleship are going to read this week. I've changed it a little bit, but it's a, it's a story that I used in the journey curriculum uh, analogously to help us understand the table. Here's the story. It's a young, young son, six years of age, had a younger brother, almost three. Father was diagnosed with terminal cancer, would not have much time to live, really nothing they could do for him. They broke the news to the children. Of course, the little almost three-year-old couldn't comprehend, didn't understand. And the six-year-old knew it was bad, but never really understood the implications at that time, but was just heartbroken. It was probably about a half a year later that the father very feebly walked into the room of the older son. And he handed him a gift, and he said, this gift is for you. I hope you'll keep it and enjoy it forever. It became the child's favorite possessions. He opened the package and in it he found several things. First of all, there was, a, there was a journal. And the journal was full of love notes that the father had written during these months when he found out he was going to die. Love notes to the two boys. It was also a picture. It was a picture of himself hugging his two little boys. And then there was just a, a word of instruction, a little note that kind of gave some instructions as to what they should do. With that, it wasn't long afterwards, the father passed away, and now the years went on, several years, until the little almost three-year-old was now old enough to comprehend that he'd lost his dad, and he didn't know his dad, he didn't remember his dad. And so he said, said to his older brother, he said, tell me about daddy. What was he really like? Tell me something about him. I wish I knew him. And so the boy said, it's time for you to know what was given to us I took it on behalf of both of us. But it's time for you to know. And he showed him the journal with all of the, the notes. And the little boy got so excited to read them. And there was this picture of his dad. And said, there's our dad. When, when Right before he died, there it is. When he's hugging us. And oh, he left a little note of instruction. I think it's time for you to hear what I've already read and loved. And this is what he read. I love you boys so much. You will never truly understand just how much I do love you. And it is my greatest desire that you will never, ever forget me. I so hope you're continuously reading my love notes I left you and that you often look at my picture. It will be the closest thing to being with me. As you do this, be reminded that it won't be long, and we will be back together again. But until that time comes, I'm confident that as you read my notes 
as you look at the picture, you'll be strengthened to become the men I've longed for you to become. And always remember, I love you. Folks, that's the table. We've got his love notes, but we've got a picture. And the more we stare at it, the better we see him. And when we do, we'll be the strongest we'll ever be. You keep coming to the table the rest of your life. You young people, don't you ever forget, this is a high and holy moment. My prayer is that now you come to the table, that you remember the cross, relive the anguish. Go ahead, re, restate your commitment to him. And you're going to have a great fellowship around the table. Let's pray as the table is prepared. Our Father in heaven, as we come to the table now, we ask that you would grant us, grant us the ability now to take this table and understand the covenant and all of its benefits and see our Jesus and be as close to him as we'll ever be. Our Father, I pray, may we now enjoy just being with you. Thank you for this first element. As you give us your body, we remember it was broken so that that covenant might be able to be made. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord said, the Lord said, this is my body which is broken for you. You'll find it in the lower cup. Go ahead and take it whenever you're ready. The top cup, hold on to it. We'll take it together in just a couple of minutes. But the time in between, remember the covenant, the blood of my covenant, and all the many benefits. Let's take and let's enjoy. The Lord said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take. Let's pray once again. Our Father, we thank you for the great gift that you've given us in this covenant. The bigger gift being your son Jesus cut on our behalf. We thank you for that. And we pray that in light of that, we would find deep motivation to keep the stipulations of the covenant that we've made with you. And we thank you. We pray for those that are here that wouldn't take the table today and honored even you in the process of not doing so because it just wasn't right yet. But we pray that that day would come very, very soon, that we might all be the covenant family that you've called us to be. So we thank you and we ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.